Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. A mouse looked through the crack in the wall to see a farmer and his wife open a package. What food might this contain? The mouse wondered. He was devastated to discover it was a mousetrap. Retreating to the farmyard, the mouse proclaimed the warning. There's a mousetrap in the house! There's a mousetrap in the house! And the chicken clucked and scratched and raised her head and said, Mr. Mouse, can I tell you this is a grave concern to you, but if it's no consequences to me, I can't be bothered by it. The mouse turned to the pig and told him, There's a mouse trap in the house! There's a mouse trap in the house! The pig sympathized but said, See, I like that. I'm so sorry, Mr. Mouse, but this is no, nothing I can do, but I'll pray about it. Be assured, Mr. Mouse, you're in my prayers. The mouse then turned to the cow and said, There's a mouse trap in the house! There's a mouse trap in the house! The cow said, Wow, Mr. Mouse! I'm sorry for you, but it's no skin off my nose. So the mouse returned to the house, headed down and dejected, to face the farmer's mousetrap alone. That very night, the sound was heard throughout the house. Snap! Like the sound of a mousetrap catching its prey. The farmer's wife rushed to see what was caught. And in the darkness, she didn't see that it was a venomous snake whose tail the trap had actually caught. The snake at that point bit the farmer's wife. And the farmer's wife was rushed to the hospital and she returned home with a fever. Well, everyone knows you treat a fever with fresh chicken soup. So the farmer took the hatchet to the farmyard for the soup's main ingredient. But his wife's sickness continued. So friends and neighbors came to sit with her around the clock. To feed them, the farmer butchered the pig. Well, the farmer's wife didn't get better. She died. So many people came to her funeral. The farmer had the cow slaughtered to provide enough meat for all of them. The mouse looked upon it all from his crack in the wall with great sadness. And the moral of the story is this. You might not think this message is for you. I've heard it all before. Until that day when everything changes. You see, I share this with you because I believe that Paul, through the book of Philippians, is wanting us to hear the message. To allow the message to penetrate our hearts. He knows that you and I in this world are going to suffer. He knows that we're going to have pain. And yet... He wants us to remain joyful. In other words, I'm asking you, don't be like the chicken. Oh, the message is no consequence to me, Pastor Ben. The message, or, or, or be like the pig. This is nothing I can do about it, but you're in my prayers. Don't be like the cow. I'm sorry for you, but I'm okay. Church, listen, this message is from the Lord for all of us. And we open up our hearts and we say, okay, God, what do you have for me?
When I think about the text that we're about to study, chapter 1, 27-30, you know I've titled it, Standing Strong in Adversity. Standing Strong in Adversity. And when I think of that title, my mind goes directly to, well, I think of Job. Job in the Bible as a beautiful, if you will, illustration of what Paul is trying to teach us here in 2023. I mean, think about it. Do you remember what happened to Job? You see, for you and I, we look at Job and we think, oh, thank God that was him. Oh, well, whew, man, poor Job. Job got it. But I want, I want to share the story just for a minute. Because Job, think about this. Job was a wealthy man living in the end of Uz. Not Oz, okay? So it's not having to do with the wizard in the land of Uz. With his large family, so Job been in extensive flocks. And the Bible says he was blameless and upright. Blameless and upright. Always caring to, uh, always careful to avoid evil. He tells us that in chapter 1, verse 1. And one day, Satan, the adversary, appears before God in heaven. God boasts to Satan about Job's goodness. Look at Job. And Satan argues that Job is only good because God has blessed him abundantly. Church, listen to me. We can say the same thing. Even though you're going through adversity, even though there's been trials, even though there's been pain, we can, we, we're blessed. We're blessed by God. And the enemy could look at your life and go, well, the only reason you're praising God here today is because you're blessed. Same thing with Job. Well, Satan challenges God that if given permission to punish the man, Job would turn and curse God. God allows Satan to torment Job to test this bold claim, but he forbids Satan to take Job's life in the process. And of course, you guys know the story. One day, one day, Job receives four messages, each bearing separate news that his livestock, his servants, and his ten children all have died due to these modding invaders and natural catastrophes. Could you imagine for just a moment? Like there are times when, when you know, we often say when it rains, it pours. It's not just a gentle rain, or it pours. And so Job says, man, it rains, it really poured. Are you kidding me? Four messages one day, seriously? I can handle one, I can maybe do two. But four, and, and, and all of his children, it wasn't... Uh, Job, he tears his clothes, he shaves his head in the morning. Now here's what you got to catch. He still blesses God in his prayers. That's a little bit different from us, if I can be honest, in church. I don't know if we would be able to do that more than we would cry out, why, 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 why me? Oh, woe is me. What did I do? How come you're punishing me, God? What did I do? And, and Job just continues to bless God in prayers. Well, Satan appears in heaven again, and God grants him another chance to test Job. This time, Job is afflicted with horrible skin sores. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And his wife encourages him, but not in the way we think. She encourages him to curse God, to give up and die. But Job refuses, struggling to accept his circumstances. The Bible says, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In verse 10, he says to his wife, you speak as one of a foolish woman would speak. He's not calling his wife foolish. He's saying, what you're saying is foolish. 
And he says, shall we receive good from God and not receive evil? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. The dominant theme of Job is difficulty of understanding why an all-powerful God allows good people to suffer. And Job wants to find a way to justify God's actions, but he can't. He can't. He can't understand. And he's going through all of this in this adversity. You guys know the story. I won't belabor the point due to time. But then you have Job's friends come over and say, what's wrong with you? Tell us where you sin. Look back. And Job's like, I didn't do anything, man. I was just minding my own business. I was blessing God. And that happens to a lot of us. We're minding our own business. We're trying to serve God with we can. And adversity happens. Things happen. Because you bear the name of Jesus. You bear the name of Christianity. You are a Christian. And just because of that, this is what happened. So the question that I've got to ask you is, how do we stand strong in adversity? How do we stand strong? I love the Word of God because Paul is going to give us four qualities, if you will, in which we are to apply to our lives how we can stand strong. Why? Because standing strong in adversity will also bring joy in our lives. Can I get an amen? I have before you a stool. It's a four-legged stool. It's solid. Do any of you here doubt that if I were to sit on this, it would, it would not hold me? There's nobody here that go, I don't think it holds you. And I'm not talking because of weight. I'm just talking about the sturdiness of the stool. You see them. They're four legs. And I want to use this as a visual because if I were to come over here and sit down, I hope it doesn't break, right? Because <laughs> that would be bad. I would walk out. I'd just go home. It's going to hold me. First and foremost, listen to me. Listen, I have faith that this is going to hold me. You see, I didn't check the legs. You guys saw me. We had started the service. I went to the back. I got it. I've got it's. It's going to hold me. I have faith. You guys all walked in here, and you had faith. Those blue chairs you're sitting on were going to hold you. Each of them has four legs. Not one of you looked at it. Not one of you said, are all the screws here? I'm not sure. Let me just double check this. You all came in and sat down. You have faith. You have faith. You have faith in an object. Well, I too had faith in this four-legged stool. So what do we do? How do we stand strong? Well, let me say this before I give you some background. Standing strong in adversity will also bring joy in our lives. Standing strong. Now, let's go back, because some of you weren't here last week. Remember what we talked about. I want to just kind of give you a recap. Last week, we talked about living a life that matters. Living a life that matters. You see, every one of us in this room actually feels like we're, we're here for a reason. we got to have purpose. Why am I here? Why am I here? And to be honest with you, I'm seeing a lot of college kids, and it's not because of the profession you chose or the career you chose. That's not your purpose. God has a greater purpose in your life. That's a career you chose, and amen and hallelujah. But every one of us, if we'll look a little bit deeper than our profession or our jobs, we're wanting to have purpose. We're wanting to have meaning. 
We, we want that. I, I want my life to count. You see, I don't want to go into that pine box going, man, my life didn't count. I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't make the contribution that I wanted. I just, I'm sorry, but I lived for me, and, and now I'm gone. And I, 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 want, I, want to, I want to live my life, if most of I can, with no regrets, trying to do what God has called me to do. And so we talked about that, and, and, and here's what we learned. It was, it, the message was powerful last week in the fact that we all want purpose and meaning. And we discovered just three wonderful points in verses 19 through 26. The first point we talked about last week, if you recall, was Paul's promise. The promise. You go, what was the promise? It was knowing the Lord. Knowing the Lord. You see, Paul knew Jesus. He knew Jesus in a way. He experienced him. It wasn't just knowing about Jesus. He knew Jesus and he accepted the promise. He's like, I know God. I know God. The enemy will rob you of your joy when you don't know a God in a personal and intimate way. For you can call on him in that moment. Paul knew God. The beautiful thing is, right now, is you and I don't need a Damascus Road experience to know God. We don't need to be shown by a bright light and hear this voice and be blind for three days and... You know, just kind of, we, we can know God now. He's right here and he's knocking. He says, listen, listen, I want, I want you to know me experientially. I want you to know me where you can just know me. You know my heart and you know my life and, 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 and you know what your purpose is. And you go, yes, we saw that last week. Today, another one, we saw Paul's purpose. Paul's purpose. Do you remember his purpose? His purpose was really simple, summed up in one verse. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me to live as Christ, and that should be our motto for you and I. What's our purpose? To live as Christ. We've got a lot of work to do. Listen, let me just say this, and let me just get out there. God didn't save you just to save you. He saved you, and he gave you a gift so that you can win others to his kingdom. Our mission, you ready? Our mission, if you're willing to accept it, is to depopulate hell and populate heaven. But God did it in such a way where he's not going to use just one person. He's going to use a body of believers. That's what we're called to do. We're called to do. We need to work together to do that. And so our purpose for us to live is Christ. Amen? And if we die? Amen. Amen. What a, what a great way. And then, and then Paul says, we finished up last week with Paul's patience. Do you remember that? Paul's patience. He knew that God was working everything out. Some of you in this room were doing a, a book study on Romans 8.28, and you know that's exactly, God's working it out. It may not go the way we want or how we want it, but he's working it out in the back room, if you will. He's working it out. In, we can't see a lot of what God is doing, but he's working it out. And we have to trust in that. You see, I want to take you on a little journey for about a few seconds. When you stepped into that faith, when you said and you gave your life to Jesus, you said yes to him and you were born again, you then became the property of Almighty God. That's, you're his. You're his. And he has not left us orphans where we're going, I'm not sure what we should do. Should I take a step left or, or should I go right? I'm not sure. I'm not. No, 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 no. Here's what he's saying. He's working everything out on our behalf and one day... Probably not on this side of heaven, you're going to see how that works out. And I think we're going to be up there going, 
Are you kidding me? I didn't realize that was... I didn't realize that. I was just... Huh. Wow. Wow. We talked about this on Wednesday night. If you're not a Wednesday nighter, you need to come. But you know what it said on Wednesday night? Is that when God moved you from California, He knew what He was doing. No! You moved me to Lubbock! Do you realize, do you, do you realize that when God called me to Lubbock, I asked a few people and I was told this was the armpit of Texas? <laughs> I had to have a meeting with God. God, you, you know, you know Lubbock, right? Yes, the armpit of Texas. He's like, oh. He calls us here. He calls us here. And if you haven't gone back to California, he called you here or anywhere else. God knows and he's working it all out. Now, I want you to jot this down if you can. Being impatient or having impatience often breeds unhappiness. We used to sing a song back in Sunday school, have patience, have patience, don't be in such a hurry. And, and we have these, these and it, but, it, but it often breeds unhappiness. Come on, guys, come on. You know exactly what I'm talking about. When you're, when you're borderline hangry, does anybody know what that is? borderline hangry and you go and they tell you it's going to be a 25 to 30 minute wait and you look around and you're going there's tables i don't understand why and they want you to be patient it breeds unhappiness doesn't it? i'm hungry i could eat the bottom of my shoe i don't know why you would do that but nonetheless it robs us of our joy come on somebody you know exactly what i'm talking about because you go with friends you go with friends and you're sitting down and, and, and you have to wait. And, and you're thinking, all you're thinking about is how, how I'm ready to eat and I want, to get, I want that salsa and chips. And you go, Pastor Ben, why do you always talk about food on Sunday morning? Oh, I just want to make you hungry. And then you miss the complete message because you're going, I'm ready to go eat. Where, where's, who makes good salsa and chips? Pastor Ben, hurry. I'm not going to hurry. I'm just going to wait right here. But it robs us of our joy because the company we have, we miss that because we're constantly thinking. That's a silly illustration, but I want you to put that in. In a lot of ways, we miss, we miss the moment because of our impatience. We miss the joy. We get to hang out with somebody. We get to, we get to have relationships and be in people's lives. Joy, church, is, all, is often for you and I. Think about this. It's trying to find the good in every circumstances and bring glory to God. What's the good? When you're diagnosed with cancer at an early age, the good is that you got diagnosed and we can do something about it. It's, 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 you go, Ben, but it's still cancer. I get that. I get that. But you've got to find the good in every... And it takes a lot of work to find the good. It takes a lot of work. But knowing Jesus helps us as we know him in an intimate way. Those, that's what we looked last week. And here's what I want you to remember. All three of these things, Paul reminds us, they're needed if we're going to live a life that matters. All, th- all three things are needed. Now, if you and I want to live a life that matters, if you remember, the word walking was a habitual pattern of living. It says, if you and I... Uh, want to live a life that matters to the Lord and matters to each other, 
we need to purpose that we must walk. We must walk in a habitual pattern of living in his ways. You have to, you have to do that. I often thought about bringing a basketball up here and holding it and saying, listen, if I just hold this basketball long enough, I think I can make the NBA. And you're going, Ben, no, that doesn't work that way. Why? Well, I'm holding the basketball. I should be able to. You know, you have to put in the... Put in the... Yes. And I'm still too short, so I wouldn't make it. But you guys understand, right? Neither is sleeping with the Bible under your pillow and hoping that, that you become mature godly men and women just by sleeping with your Bible. We've got to read it. We've got to apply. We've got to act on it. This is what Paul says. We have to have an habitual. It needs to be a habit. A habit. So now we come to the final verses of chapter 1. How do we stand strong in adversity? And listen to me, Christian. You're going to face adversity. If you are a fully devoted follower of God to this morning, you are going to face adversity. As a matter of fact, I found an article from CNN.com that says this, Christians are becoming a hated minority. Christians are becoming a hated minority. You understand, we are a minority now. It's not the majority of people. It's a minority. And the the article goes on to say, check this out, neighbors I don't want living next to me. Neighbors I don't want living next to me. So my prayer for you is that whoever you live next to is a great neighbor. But this article goes on to say, it's kind of like a, 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 a graph of percentages of people who you don't want living next to you. You don't want to have as neighbors. You go, what does it mean? It says this, the percentage of Americans who do not like the following minorities as neighbors. 1% say they don't want Catholics living next door. 2% say they don't want Protestants living next door. 3% says we don't want Jews living next door. 9% say they don't want Hispanics as neighbors. Then comes, we don't want unmarried couples living next to us. Then comes African Americans. And finally, the bottom of the list, the highest percentage, check this out, 13% say they don't want religious fundamentalists as neighbors. They're basically saying, I don't want fully devoted followers of God who are bold in their faith for Jesus. I don't want them as my neighbor. Isn't that the weirdest thing you've ever heard? Why? Because fully devoted followers of God will keep their yard clean. They go out of their way to help their neighbors. We, we, this is what God puts in our hearts. If you hear, like, like during the pandemic, we went around our neighborhood and, 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 and we baked cakes and, and, and cookies and just try to make sure they're all right. The elderly, hey... We're just here making sure if you need anything, this is what Christians do. 13% said, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. Why? Because again, according to CNN.com, we're the hated minority. We're the hated minority. Because you're the hated minority as a believer, as a Christian, everybody got that? As a Christian, guess what? That's where adversity comes from. That's where adversity comes from. 
So what does Paul do? Paul understands this under the power of the Holy Spirit. I love this. He gives us four qualities to stay strong. Four qualities. Everybody look at me. Four solid qualities to stand strong. To stand strong. This is what he's going to give us. You see, Paul understood, and you've got to get this down. You've got to get this in your spirit. You ready? That life is not a playground. It's a battleground. Life, the Christian life, is not a playground, guys. It's a battleground. Now, what you need to know in verses 27 through 30 is that there's a shift, if you will, in Paul's writing. Okay? He, he writes to them not so much as saints, if you will, not as servants like he has up until now, but now he writes to them as soldiers, as it were. You see, the focus of the letter beginning in chapter 1 um, it, it, it's been, it's all been about them. Hey, I'm here. And in, in verse 27, he actually turns from his imprisonments. I'm okay, guys. I love Jesus. He goes, I'm going to turn from my imprisonment. I'm going to focus on you. What's you? Your predicament. Your predicament. He's going to teach us on that. And that's where we're going to pick it up, guys. In verse 27, he's not writing us as servants, but as soldiers. Everybody got that? And now he starts in verse 27. And he says this. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit and with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. Your attention, please. Stool leg number one, right here. You go, what's that? First quality, if you and I are going to stand strong, jot this down, it's consistency. Consistency. Paul says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastor Ben, how did you get consistency? Well, let's unpack it. If you and I are to stand strong, we must have a consistent walk with Jesus Christ. A consistent walk with Jesus. If you are not afraid to write in your Bible, circle that word for conduct, because it, I don't, it doesn't mean what you think it means. You see, oftentimes when we hear the English word conduct, we often think of behavior. Paul is saying, this is how we need to behave. And if we're being honest, you and I can learn to behave in a lot of ways, don't we? We can, we can modify our behavior even in church. God bless you. How are you? Hallelujah. Amen. Raise the hands. We can behave. We can modify our behavior. Unfortunately, me and my best friend cannot modify, we, we, modify, we cannot curb our behavior when we hang out together. I'm just telling you right now. So if you see us in the next day here in Lubbock, it's his fault. I'm just saying. But the word here is actually, it's, check this out, it's politimeo, tamaya, and, and here's what it means. It's where we get the word politics. But, but not, like, not like Washington politics. It's where we get the word police from, and it's where we get the word policy. 
And you go, Ben, what does it mean? What Paul's saying, he's saying, here's the thing. Here's what you want to write next. It means to behave like citizens, to, to represent your country well. Townsmen, that's what it means. It's not just going, I'm behaving. Right? What, what did we do when they were telling us to grow up? You better behave. Well, I was doing something wrong, so I better behave. It's so much more deeper. It's so much more deeper. I don't know if any of you ever had a dad that, that would quote your last name and say, hey, you're a, this is how we behave. This is how we behave. This is, this is our family. This is who you represent. You go, yeah, my dad was like that. Okay. This is what, this is what it means. He's saying, okay. Deeper in this, it's referred to public duties de- devolving upon a man as a member of the body. But wait, there's more. Like the Ginsu knives, stay with me. When we look at conduct, we immediately think behavior, but this says you need to represent yourselves as citizens of heaven. You're like, wow. Why? As others look upon us, we should represent, we should consistently represent our king in a godly manner. Everywhere we go, it's not about us, it's about who we represent. In your job, well, no, Pastor Ben, I don't, I don't differentiate. I, my, my job is different. I'm a Christian uh, at home and at, at the grocery store, but at my job, no, no, no. You represent the Lord at your job. You represent the Lord at school. You represent the Lord everywhere you go. This is what he's saying. Be a good representative. of. This is how you should be. This, uh, and it should be consistently is what he's saying. It should be consistently. You go, well, Ben, what would be the opposite? Well, of course, the opposite would be hypocrite, wouldn't it? Hypocrite. How we say one thing and then behave another. Let me illustrate it this way to you. If you've ever gone out of the country, like, for example, a few of us are going to go to Israel. When we go to Israel, we represent the United States of America. We are citizens of the United States. Therefore, when we go into another country, we represent our country. And... For us to go into another country of Israel and we fight or we're ugly would not represent the finest of our country. The first time I went to Israel, I went with a couple who no longer attends this church. And we were walking down the road and she did not represent the finest of our country. And she was fighting with the people, not, not just Jews, but Arabs and so forth. And she was getting angry and she was saying stuff. And we're walking down the street. And I thought, oh my, she doesn't represent the best of our country. They're not looking at her going, oh, that's the best. And so that's exactly what it means, guys. That's exactly what it means. It means that you and I represent the Lord Jesus in a beautiful, consistent way. And this is basically, this is what we do. I mean, think about it. 
It's not just about behaving, but it's representation. But there's another word, guys. He says, I would want, I would want what? Notice he says, he says, only let your conduct be, and the second word you need to know is worthy. Worthy. And the Greek word is axios. 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 A-X-I-O-S. And it means worthy, balanced, scale, due reward. So in your mind, picture balance right here. This is what that word means. Worthy. How so? Well, again, here's what he's saying. Are you, have you ever heard that say, are you worthy of your wages? What you're doing, how you're behaving, are you worthy to get paid? Many of us go to our boss and says, I think I'm worth more. We say that. And he looks at your life and he goes, no, you're not worthy because you're not putting out what we're paying you now. You're snuffing on the clock. You're taking too long of breaks. You don't show up. You call, no call, no show. You're not worthy. But when you're working really hard, and he goes, man, you're worthy of a raise because you're far, you're very balanced. That's what that word means. You're worthy. You're balanced. So think about it in the terms that, that he's trying to say. He's saying, listen, when we represent Jesus in a beautiful, consistent way, and we're balanced in that, when we're worth our pay and our lives are not tilted, we're balanced. Imagine, imagine for a moment walking with Jesus and you're tilted. You're not balanced. You haven't had a consistent walk with, you haven't had that consistent time with the Lord. You're a little bit off kilter. Anybody know that? And what happens is the enemy comes in, he knows this, he comes in, and, and again, he, that's where he strikes. So what happens to us is that all of a sudden, we're totally unsure what we believe. Oh, I'm not sure what I believe. And then we, come, we become even more inconsistent with our relationship with Jesus. I mean, think about it, guys. Think about it like this for just a second. Back in 1989, the younger kids won't get this, but there used to be a commercial from V8. You guys remember V8? Huh? And the commercial in 1989 used to have a person, they made the commercial, he was walking crooked, out the door, tilted. And the, the whole premise was like, you want to come upright, you need to have a V8. And they would hit themselves on the head and go, man, I should have had a V8. That was in 1989. Now, when I think of 1989, I think it's just a few years back, but then I realize it's way back. That the year 2000 was 20 years ago. Those of you who were born in 90s, that was 30 years ago. And I'm preaching to some of, uh, to some of you, and you're like, I wasn't even born until... I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I think, Joe and Mike, you're getting old, man. I'm just like, shh. But, I mean... But that's the whole point. We're tilted. We're tilted, guys. And, and, uh, and the enemy knows that. And so he's wanting us to walk worthy, to live a balanced life. Oh, maybe you don't have a V8 drink, but what you have is, is worthy. You have the Holy Spirit. You have a consistent life. So, first stool, guys. We've got to have faith. Got to have faith. It's going to hold me. But then I made to make sure, so here's, here's my consistency right here. This is consistency. Okay. 
and worthy. Yep, sounds good. Sounds good. If we're going to stand strong, now here's the key word. Jot this down. We need to develop, develop a consistent, holy, worthy walk. That means we have to work at it. We have to develop. You have to have your quiet times, prayer times, devotions, all of that. You have to develop that. Above all, guys, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news. The good news. Think about this. Think about your job. From time to time in your job, they actually have a, what, what do they call it when they bring you in a, a three-month review or an annual review, and they go back and they sort of look at you, and you go meet with your boss. Okay, so let's look at your work. Let's see how, how well you've done. Let's, let's, and you've got to kind of go, man, I hope, I hope I, I've done good. I think I've done good. And at the end of it, they either give you a raise or they're like, okay, keep doing. You're doing great. Could you imagine if we and I had an annual re, or, or, or even a monthly review or with Jesus about our walks with God. Oh, no. That's, well, why are you so nervous, Ben? Uh, the Lord called me up to heaven. He wants to have a meeting. Well, what do you think he wants? Well, he's going to ask me how, how well I've represented him down here. Well, you got nothing to worry about. You're the pastor. Well, you know what? You're right. No, no, I'm a little bit nervous. You, you understand that? And how much better to go? You know what, Lord? Through the power of your Holy Spirit, I've represented you well. Can I get an Amen. You got that, right? Okay. Let me just say this and move on. People are looking at your life. You may not know it, but they are. You're claiming to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, and if you want to stand strong in adversity and represent the Lord and the gospel well, you have to stand strong. Let me give you the second point. The second quality that we must have if we're going to stand. Okay, so we got, we got consistent. Here we go. This one. Okay. That's going to be, jot this down. That's going to be unity slash harmony. Unity slash harmony. Well, why, why, don't you just use, why don't you just use unity? I'll tell you why in just a minute. But Paul says this. I come and see you, and, or I'm absent. I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It's more harmony, more harmony. Harmony comes from the English via Latin, harmonia. And I like what it says, in conjunction, joining, musical, if you will, melody, agreement among various parts. Think about this. Think about the worship this morning. Abel had to make sure that everyone was on the right key. Is that right, Mel? Mel's over here. He's, on, he's making sure he's on the right key. And it was harmonious. It was harmonious. Yet, Abel and Mel and Soph and anybody who else is, we're all different musicians. We're all different. We're all diff- we all come from different backgrounds. But we but we had something in common. In order to make a great harmony, everyone had to be on the same key. See, I want you to think about this. You and I are called to stand fast in the Spirit with one mind, notice, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We are to be unified in the faith of the gospel. Can I get an amen? We've got to be unified, but I need to unpack it more. Why? 
because unity is what we strive for. But if we're honest, we don't all agree on everything. We're different people. We have different beliefs concerning what I call non-essentials. In other words, if you and I were to go back and get the great, great theologians and scholars from the 4th century even to now and put them in this room, I guarantee you they would be unified in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they would all come with different stuff how they believed. No, I don't believe that. you got Spurgeon here telling you and, and Whitfield and all these guys. You know that. So, so it's not that you and I come in here and go, we are one, you know, I mean, we, we just, but we have harmony. We have harmony. We've got to stay united and harmonious with the essentials of the gospel. Now, it's going to get, it's going to get, it's going to get a little better. Why? Think about this. Pastor Chuck taught us this axiom. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. In, 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 in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, there's liberty. In all things, charity. Jesus, my Jesus, had that same passion. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed that they... All may become one, and they may be one in us, he said, and that the world may believe that you sent me. He wanted us all, what? In unity. In unity. Here's what's important. You ready? You and I as believers, we need to band together because we're going to struggle at times against the hardship and the persecutions because people don't want you living next to them. No, no, no. It's okay if you don't mention Jesus. It's okay if you just do your thing. But if you're going to be a fully devoted, fired up follower, hey, don't wear that, Raina. That's You're just stepping down. No, 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 no. Why? Do you know what? We need each other. We need to band together. We need to band together in the gospel. Christianity, Christian unity is one of Paul's major themes throughout the letter. If we are going to stand strong in adversity, we must possess the quality of unity and harmony. We have to be for the gospel. For the gospel. I want you to, let's read it again real quick. Philippians 27 and 28. Paul writes, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm not, or I don't, I'll hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Church, listen to me. We need to knock off, to knock it off. With the stuff and the drama and all the stuff we go with other Christians. We're brothers and sisters, and I've told you this. We are a family, but we're misfits. We're, we're strangies, if that's even a word. You, you understand that, but we're brothers, and we don't go, oh, I don't like to, I don't like to talk of Philip. He creeps me out. We're brothers. 
And we need to be unified because I know Philip is going to go through the same thing I go through. And he, he probably thinks I'm a strange and weirdo, all that stuff. But we're brothers. And don't tell me your family is not strange, your, your immediate family. Don't tell me you're like... Because every one of us has that uncle, you know, that, that, that you don't invite to, the, <laughs> to Christmas. <laughs> but you're still family, aren't you? And in the body of Christ, he's saying, you and I, we have, to, we have to do that. We have to put our differences aside in the unity of the gospel. People want to see that you and I, RJ, are united as brothers. RJ doesn't believe everything that Pastor Ben believes. That's okay. In non-essentials, man, we're brothers. We're brothers. But the world goes, oh, yeah, they're brothers. I can tell. I can tell. I can tell. I can tell that Keon looks exactly like Ben. They're brothers. Yeah, we are. We're brothers. We're brothers. And Ben has the same name as me, so we're brothers. We're brothers. And Anthony, we have the same hair. I mean, we're brothers. We're brothers. His wife is shaking her head no. Yes, we do. Look. (laughs) Only mine's white. His is black. (laughs) Give him 20 years. It'd be white too. Some of us don't have hair. Here's the point. You ready? We have to have a consistent walk with God. We have to be in harmony as we band together against hardship and persecution. There's two. Now, if I were to just, I don't think I could sit like this, guys. I'll fall. So, so we need another one. We need another one. The third quality, you ready? Right here. Jot this down. Courage. Courage. Why? Notice what Paul says. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries. And not in any way terrified. Look, circle that word for terrified. Because here's the literal translation. It's said of horses or other animals, how they get startled and suddenly scared. Anybody, anybody have horses in the church? Anybody know about horses? Nobody? You, you, you ever, do you ever get a place where they get startled at times? I wouldn't want to be behind a, church, a, a horse when he gets startled because they like to kick. You never do that. But that's the term. He's saying, he's saying for you and I, when persecution comes, Joe, not to get startled that we need to have this we need to have this third leg the third leg yeah the new living translation says it like this don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies stand courageous be bold and have no fear have no fear do you realize the biggest bully of them all is satan Satan comes to bully you and intimidate you, and, then, and, and so that you and I have, have walk around and just like, oh, I don't know, and, 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 and Paul says, no, 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 listen, if you're going to stand through adversity, you need courage. You need courage. Well, Ben, I don't know what courage is. Well, it implies firmness of mind and will in the face of danger or extreme difficulty. That's courage. That's courage. The word courage comes from the Latin core, meaning heart. It was borrowed into the Middle English from an old French, courage, which meant heart, innermost feeling, spirit, and confidence. That's where courage comes from. And Paul says to you and I, don't be afraid of your enemies. Be courageous. 
And this, your courageousness, don't be startled, don't be spooked, you know it's coming. It will prove to them that they will lose and that you will win. And you will win. Why? Because it's God who gives you the victory. Listen, our courage comes from God who will always, always give us the victory. If I'm at war and I'm in a foxhole and I'm by myself, I probably don't have courage. But if I have my brothers in that foxhole with me, I'm a little bit more courageous. Why? Because they've got my back. They've got my back. I don't know if you know this. Ken, you, you would know this. But when police enter a building, they have one facing forward and one facing walking backward. Why do they have one, one walking backward? Because they've got to cover his back. Courage means that I know he's got my back. He's facing the enemy this way so that I can go forward. Neither of them know what they're going to run into. But they're both courageous, aren't they? Spiritually speaking, guys, think about it. Paul's saying, we've got to have that same courage. But knowing you've got my back. You've got my back. Watch out. Watch out. Ben, watch your back. You got, you got something coming here? Well, don't judge me. I don't understand why you would judge me. I'm not judging you. I've got your six. I've got you. I want to make sure. I want to make sure. I want to make sure. Church, listen to me. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you have a brother who's somewhere he's not supposed to be with someone he's not to be with? What do you do? Hey, bro, that's not your wife. Who, who's this? Don't judge me. You don't have to, I'm free in Jesus. I'm no, no, no. I, 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 I've got, bro, listen, I've got your six. And I want to make sure, I want to make sure that you don't go down a, a, a bad path. A bad path. Ben, I've got a question. What happens if I'm courageous and I get killed? What happens? Well, you win. You win, always. Even if you are courage and you're standing against adversity, life can still happen, but listen, you've still, you still got a good foundation. you still got, okay, but three out of the four aren't going to help me. Three out of the four. When I think of, when I think of courage, guys, you know who jumps out? St- Stephen. Do you remember Stephen? Stephen was the first martyr, and there he was, and and, and he's proclaiming Jesus. He's saying, hey, you need to give your life. And they stone him to death. And what blows my mind is Saul is sitting there watching the belongings, the coats, while Stephen is dying for his faith. And Stephen looks up and he says, wow, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. That's courage. You want to know what's Courage. I'll tell you what courage is. You guys know Mary? Jesus' mom? You know Mary? I want you to think about this. They're about to nail, they're about to nail 
her son to the cross. They've already beaten him. Mom's heart is breaking. That's my boy. Mary, come here. You claim that Jesus is your son. We, this is why we're going to crucify him. If you'll just tell us who his real dad is, we'll call this whole thing off. Tell us who you were with, Mary. Who were you with back in the day? It wasn't Joseph. Who was it? Mary displayed great courage because she goes, I can't. It was the Holy Spirit. He was God. And then, and then they nailed him to a cross. What could Mary say? Oh, okay, okay, stop. Get him, get him down. Get him down. I'll tell you who I was with. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was making this whole thing up. She couldn't, could she? Why? Because she had the courage and the power of the Holy Spirit behind her. And this is what he's asking us. And here's the thing. Guys, here's the thing. Stephen died, but ultimately he won the war, didn't he? He lost that particular battle, but he won the war. You know where Stephen is right now? He's dancing in heaven, man. He's waiting for us to come. He's like, hey, this is great. And he's, and he's written in the word of God for eternity. That's amazing. But I want to remind you, church, I want to remind you that I'm going way over time. I'm so sorry. Usually we're at the, at the restaurant by now. The church! Oh, Christian walk is not a playground, but a battleground. Okay, let me hurry. Let me hurry. If we're to stand strong in adversity, we must have courage. Okay, last two verses. Verse 29, for to you it's been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict in which you saw in me and now hear in me. Let me give you the fourth quality. Here it is. We got three so far. I want to make sure. Jot this down. It's agony. Agony. Wait a minute. I don't like this one. I don't like this one. It's not the most popular. Listen, I love courage. I love all that. But agony, yeah. Here's what agony means. Extreme physical or mental suffering. Extreme physical or mental suffering. He says, for to you it's been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him. Come on, somebody. Okay, one person was amen. Come on, somebody. But also to suffer for his sake. (laughs) It's like everybody's like, amen, I believe in him. To suffer. Mm -mm. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying, guys. Here's what Paul is teaching. You and I, we have the privilege of suffering for Jesus. Once again, this agony is either mental or physical. What we need to understand is that suffering for Jesus is a privilege. It's wonderful to believe on Christ to receive the free gift of salvation, but another gift God gives us, and it's the gift of suffering for Jesus' sake. As a matter of fact, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 points out that that our sufferings are in fellowship with him. Let me ask you a question real quick, and then I'll give you Acts chapter 5, 41. Have you ever been ostracized, ridiculed, talked about because of your faith in Jesus? Honestly, you have been persecuted and because of your faith in Jesus. And it's hard, is it? Family members don't want to talk to you. Loved ones, friends, they they forsake you. They talk about you. And it's all because you love Jesus. And that's hard. Paul's saying, listen, what an amazing thing to suffer for the sake of Christ. 
if we if we get persecuted for being for being a jerk, you guys know what I'm talking about, then that's on us. If you're just that way, but if you're just loving God and they're like, man, I don't like you. Oh, you know, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make up stuff about you, and I'm going to gossip about you, and I'm going to do all this because you love Jesus? Wow. I want to get to the place where I'm like, thank you, Lord. I don't particularly like it, Lord, but I'm going to suffer the same way you did. I'm going to say it the same way you did. Acts chapter 541, Dr. Luke writes, So they departed from the presence of counsel, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the shame of his name. Wow. Can you imagine? They're high-fiving each other, Lawrence. They're high-fiving each other, and what? Because they suffered for, for Christ. They was like, oh, man, who did that? Who did that? Guys, we don't like the last one. But quite honestly, we know the Lord, we know the Lord so much better when we suffer like he did. Okay? In closing, we have to have faith. I believe it'll hold me. I believe, oh, yeah. But if I'm going to, if I'm going to withstand, if I'm going to be strong, I need, I need all four. I need all four. There we go. If we are called to stand strong in adversity, we are filled and equipped with God's power to stand strong. We have four qualities that will help us. Consistency, harmony, courage, in agony. And they're all mixed together. They're all perfectly placed with glue and everything else. Yes. But I'm going to finish with this story. One day, a pastor asked an old farmer, decked out in bib overalls, to say grace for the morning breakfast. Lord, I hate buttermilk. The farmer began. The visiting pastor opened one eye to glance at the farmer and wondered, where is this going? The farmer loudly proclaimed, Lord, I hate lard. Now the pastor was growing concerned. Without missing a beat, the farmer continued, and Lord, you know how much I hate, how much I, I, I don't care for raw white flour. The pastor once again opened his eye to glance around the room and saw that he wasn't the only one to feel uncomfortable. The farmer added, But Lord, when you mix them all together and bake them, I do love warm, fresh biscuits. So Lord, when things come up that we don't like, and when life gets hard, when we don't understand what you're saying to us, help us just to relax and wait until you are done mixing. It will probably even be better than biscuits. Amen. That was his prayer. So if you're here with a life and you, and you have adversity, stand strong. Stand strong. Stand strong. Get your stool. All four. And then what? And then just sit. Just sit. Because he's working it all out. Can I get an amen? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word and the truth in your word. We thank you for your great love for us and your mercy and grace. Lord, I thank you that we can stand strong in adversity. I pray that we would possess these qualities, God, to do life together. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I do want to give you an opportunity this morning. Maybe throughout the teachings, you are saying, you know, Pastor Ben, you were saying some things, and it, it, it dawned on me. I don't know if I have that relationship with God that you, that you were talking about. And Pastor Ben, if I'm being really honest, I don't know if I would go to heaven if I died. And you were saying some things, and I, I really felt in my spirit that I, I, needed, to, I needed to come clean this morning. I, I needed to surrender my life to God. See, Ben, you're talking about stuff that only God can give, and I don't know if I have God. I don't know if I, if I could sit on that stool, spiritually speaking, like you could. If that's you this morning, I have some good news for you. You can. But you've got to do something amazingly brave. You've got to surrender your heart to Jesus this morning. You've got to say once and for all. Now, maybe you've lived a life and you've, you've sort of, you sort of did that same thing. You know, you're, you're, uh, you're a little bit backslidden or maybe you just hadn't committed your life wholeheartedly, but now the Lord's knocking on your heart and he brought you to church. It's not a mistake. And now at the sound of this invitation, you're going, oh no, oh no, please don't make me Lord. Please don't make me get up. I, I, I promise I'll do whatever it takes. And yet he's knocking on your heart right now saying, today's the day. So let me do this real quick. With every eye closed and every head bowed, is there anyone here that say, Pastor Ben, would you pray for me? I want to give my life to Jesus completely, 100%, no holds barred today. I want to follow him. I want to know that if I died tonight, I'd be saved, 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 that I'd have a place in heaven. I want to pray for you. And those of you watching online, you can lift up your hand. God sees you. So if you're here and you want that, would you just lift up your hand real quick? Would you just say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to give you an opportunity. Anyone else? Anyone? God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Father, thank you for these hands that were raised. Thank you for your great love. Father, here's our heart. Here's our prayer. We believe in you. We love you. We surrender completely to you. Come into our heart and just save us. Just walk with us. Take all the junk and the bitterness out. We truly believe. We are fully devoted followers of God. And Lord, even though we're going to be facing a world of hatred and adversity, we're going to stand strong in you. So come into our hearts. Be our Lord. Be our God. Be our Savior. Be our friend. We're going to follow you all the days of our life. Amen. Let's stand and worship. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.